So we've got uh, Mike Rainey from the Dad Meat Podcast. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> I've, I've said this before with other guests. It's funny how quickly my switch flips. Like, uh, again, I, I, I fucked up the time with you. And uh, I was waiting for your response. And I was like, this motherfucker is blowing me out. Like, Furious. And then you go, uh, hey, man, I had the wrong time. And I was like, oh, it's a, no, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Dude, one of the one of the biggest issues I have right now is just um, putting putting all of my responsibilities into a cohesive schedule. And in my mind, like things will make sense. Like, for instance, like like I just messaged you like I was like I was convinced this was happening a half hour later than it actually was. Yeah. And then I sat down, I set all my stuff up and I'm just like, all right, let me, let me check uh, Instagram while I, while I have 15 minutes to kill. And then I was like, Oh shit, this was supposed to happen a, <laughs> half, a fucking 15 minutes ago. So. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the opposite where I worry about everything, especially like I, obviously I'm blind. I don't drive or anything. So I show up to shit like an hour early. So I'm just loitering around. And they're like, what is this motherfucker doing? <laughs> Um, but I, I've been, uh, I've become a fan of you guys recently, the, uh, dad meat podcast. I saw you guys on a real ass podcast. I think that's the first time I heard of you and I've started turning people onto you guys, but what the fuck is dad meat? Cause I don't know how to explain it when people ask. I, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. And then <laughs> dude, more so than anything else, uh, Tim Butterly and I, the, the guy I co-host with, um, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And we're each just loaded down with like work, family, and, and just a million other responsibilities. So we started the podcast basically to to have an excuse to hang out with each other each week. And then we were both into like um, we both felt stagnant for a very long time, and we fell into the trap of just accepting our circumstances. But then within the past few years, we both just started you know trying different things and trying to move ourselves forward and not accepting the fact that like, okay, because we're in our thirties and forties, it doesn't mean we just got to stop wherever we are. So we're, we're fucking morons, but we're also conscious of the fact that it's imperative to just keep moving no matter, you know, where we're at or where anybody else is at in life and just keep setting goals and just keep trying different things because man, it's easy to become complacent and feel like you're stuck in your circumstances. And we've both been there. Yeah. It's a cool, uh, honestly, I think it's a cool energy you guys have because you fit into uh you know, I like like Matt and Shane podcasts and all that type of oh, shit. You guys have best. a similar energy, but you're also very like it. It was jarring at first because you're also you guys are very positive <laughs> and sweet to each other. Like uh, one of the episodes I was listening to recently, um, they were talking about uh, the the sober videos that you do, yeah, which yeah. I want to get to in a bit. But um, uh, your co-host Tim was just like, "Those are great, man. Those are so awesome." You're like, "Oh, thank you, buddy." I'm like, I'm not used to this much <laughs> genuine uh, niceness on podcasts. Yeah, man, he is um like. We'll 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 bust each other's balls in a heartbeat, but at the same time, um, we're both just genuinely concerned about the feelings of the people we interact with, including one another. Even though we've been friends for years, and it just means a lot that you know we have open, honest, uh, earnest discussion with one another, even in regards to just acknowledging simple things like that. Because I feel like there's an easy tendency to just blow past things when people compliment you so even something as simple as acknowledging it rather than just instant ball breaking i think goes a long way in, in maintaining mental health and just sustaining you know a good mindset does uh does dad meat have an actual meaning or is that just no you mike you know what man the we were we originally wanted to call it uh not for nothing because tim and i used to do like an improv thing called the not for nothing podcast mm -hmm. which didn't make any sense and it was just something people around here say a lot um but it turns out like that was like already an NBA like gossip podcast or oh, something. Okay. 
And so we were, were dead set on that, and we were all set, and then we found out that was already a podcast. And then Tim's brother said, well, you're a couple of meaty dads. So <laughs> oh, okay. maybe take that in consideration. <laughs> like, all right, maybe we'll just throw up dad meat. Because we had a date set that we wanted to release what we did. And we were planning on going in to record it like a couple of days later. So we're like, all right, fine. It's just a dumb name. You know, let's just go yeah. with it. Um, so I, I, I wanted to do my uh, due diligence on you before, uh, before I had you on. Okay. So I texted Shane Gillis and asked about you guys. Uh-oh. And he, I assume these feel like lies just because of who they're coming from and the, the tone it felt like he was sending them in. But uh, he's, he sent me two facts about you guys. Okay. Said, uh, they love wrestling other dudes, which is that's like, true. if you wrestled in high school, that's an odd way to phrase it. But what is, <laughs> is that true or no? Yeah, Tim and I are both pretty heavy into jujitsu. Oh, okay. Uh, and Shane constantly refers to us doing strip mall karate. <laughs> So, uh, yes, that is accurate. He made it seem more like if we were doing this in studio, there would be like a feats of strength. Like I'd have to get past <laughs> you in some way. Yeah. Um, we, we saw him two weeks ago at the show he had at, at Helium in Philly. And it's all he like he was pretty fired up uh, about that video of the I think it was like an Oklahoma football player getting taken down in a bathroom by an MMA guy. OK. So I, I I think seeing that that realization is out there, I think that rocked his world. So that that added to whatever ill feelings he has about us being into rubbing up against <laughs> other dudes. All right, so that's true. I'm slightly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one I thought was a lie at first, and then when I started looking more into you guys, I was like, this one might be true. Are you like Tony Robbins fans? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Like, I, dude, I've I, I I listened to like a lot of Tony Robbins, and then like he had me when he put out his Netflix special which was awesome Um, because I'm sorry. No, I was going to say my impression of him and I know very little about him. So this is pretty much an ignorant comment, but I've always thought he was just like kind of a snake oil salesman type of guy. I get why people think that man. Yeah. There's um, I, I totally get it. And for me, you know, I've, I've been into like the, the self-help stuff for like a long time. And some of it, like I definitely feel that way about, um, but with him for whatever reason, which I might not be able to pinpoint exactly, I can resonate with a lot of what he says. And I, I've been able to implement things that he says too. So for that point, like I find value in it, but I definitely yeah. get when people feel the other way about it. It was hard for me only because, uh, he came to Boston recently and, uh, or well, I mean, now it was like five years ago, but, uh, I remember like, and Brady was helping him promote it or something and yeah. tickets were like. 150 200 something crazy yeah which made that made me feel like okay i really get in like especially uh recently i went through something where i started trying to listen to a lot of mental health podcasts and then be more you know positive and shit like that and that stuff does help me but at like 200 a pop it's like hey you can just listen to fucking you know joe list's podcast and get as much value out of it you know yeah i'm with you dude like there, that's one thing that that is definitely eternal because i think so much of of people that could afford to benefit from that kind of stuff just get turned away just from that um i was listening to something like a little while ago when i was in the car that's relative to that and it's in that genre and it was more along the lines of like all right yeah if you just think positive you know good things are going to happen in your life which is total bullshit right because i think you know you know you know positive thinking is great if it's used as a primer for you to act on something you know positive thinking alone isn't going to get you to where you need to be and, and blowing you know, a few hundred dollars on a ticket to a positive thinking seminar isn't going to do shit but help line the pockets, you know, of the person you're giving that money to unless right. you're willing to do something to back it up. 
Right. If I'm smoking weed on my couch talking about what a great day it is, that's not going to fucking matter, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, and I think, you know, that industry thrives on, I think, people who don't ultimately put in work or, I don't know, the work to, to back up what it takes. Because, I mean, like anybody knows that like any substantial change that anyone has made in their life has probably come from significant hard work and challenges. Right. You know, so and but I think, you know, there's an easy buck to be made by people coming out and saying, like, hey, if you pay 500 bucks and come to my real estate seminar, I'm going to teach you all the secrets to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to all this shit where it's, you know, unfortunately, like, I think people get in enough of a bind to to be inclined to believe that kind of stuff sometimes. Yeah, but there I mean, there is something too. like I went through uh, a thing where I like took off work for a few months and everything like, like I essentially you know a, a mental breakdown i guess not in the traditional way you would think of it but i was going through a lot of mental health shit and started uh you know like when i stepped away from it i was like i was i thought like you know the world was against me that sort of shit yeah when i realized like most of the negativity comes from me saying oh this person's out to get me or i'm a dumb fuck yeah. and i fucked this up like yeah. that that's where most of the negativity comes from and you don't realize that when you're in the moment you know I'm with you, Mike, and I, you know, from personal experience, I know that the times where I've felt the worst, aside from situations where, you know, fucked up situations have occurred, like there's no way to sugarcoat it if like somebody close to you dies, you know, there's no way to positive think yourself out of that kind of a hole. Sure. But I think day to day functioning, I think it's important to kind of, you know, create like your own framework to say like, all right, and learn from like, all right, I know I'm a, a fucking lunatic from seven to nine a.m., when I wake up, unless I immediately start doing something that's going to be good for me, even though I don't want to do it. Like, for instance, if you wake up and you meditate or you wake up and you go for a walk or you wake up and you eat food that's actually nourishing for you, you know, instead of just going and getting a breakfast sandwich to shovel in your face, you know, <laughs> as you're commuting to work. Yeah. So like that kind of shit, like, you know, you're kind of creating like your own positivity and like you have to have like I think that kind of like mental framework to enable you to do that kind of positive shit in your life to have any kind of, of, of you know, positive impact along the way. Did you always kind of have that outlook to some extent or did getting sober kind of trigger that sort Not of thing? Not dude. Like, I, honestly, like I've, I, I think I've been depressed since I was a kid. Like there isn't a time where like, I think back to like where I really genuinely enjoyed life. Yeah. And I, I'd say like uh, early two thousands, I started getting into a, a writer named Wayne Dyer, who was really cool. And he wrote a lot of things that I liked. And that kind of like helped me turn the corner and saying that like, okay, there's a certain amount of shit that goes on in my life that I do have control over, which is, you know, mainly my attitude toward how I approach every situation and my, my attitude toward how I approach every interaction that I have with people. So that kind of helped. And then, um, getting sober definitely did help that too, because, you know, it's always been a constant like battle with anxiety and depression for me. And like, I realize now being almost four years away from all those substances that, you know, me, me ingesting that shit was a way for me to try to combat that. Right. But it's funny you say that too, because I had this very similar thing where <clears throat> when I was a, a kid, I would always, you know, joke about like, if anything went wrong, oh, I'm going to kill myself, that type of shit. Yeah. And then I realized like at a, you know, not that long ago as an adult, like, Oh, that's pretty, that's, not normal for a kid to constantly be thinking about killing himself like that's yeah. kind of fucked up and maybe i was depressed and it's funny how much like uh not getting help because also you know like 
I'm blind. So I put off uh, getting any help in school or anything like that. I tried to avoid it because I wanted to seem normal. Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, I sought help for that shit. And I was like, you know, if I had just done this for like three months when I was 12 years old yeah, instead dude. of 29 years old, it might have fucking helped me a lot more, you know? Maybe well, I wouldn't you, be podcasting. Uh, I'm with you 100%, man. And I, I think this way, and I, th I think a lot of people like us were probably in the same predicament that like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I have three kids now. So like, I feel like I'm more attuned to them possibly going through the same shit. Right. Um. So, and also too, like if you hear your kids verbalizing shit like that, I think it's easier to kind of say like, oh, okay, that's a clear sign that something is wrong. Whereas like with my parents and, you know, you know, I'm 42 now. So like when, when I was a kid, like going they to therapy, or, it, yeah, it, it wasn't yeah. even a thing. It was just like, you know, shut up. You know, right. we're all going through, you know, I would hear people say all the time, like, I wish I was your age again. Meanwhile, like I was just fucking like everything was anxiety and fucking depression. But like, I didn't know those terms, you know, and there's no fucking way to to kind of, I don't know, recognize it. Like, OK, something's fucked up and we should figure this out. But, you know, so I can't fault like my parents because they just weren't aware of like shit like that. Yeah, same where I was. I was I think I was kind of resentful of my parents for a while where I'm like, why yeah. wouldn't you have uh, gotten me help or whatever it is? And mm -hmm. then I look back to me when I was a kid. And it's like, anytime if they asked me if anything was wrong, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, mom, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just a little fucking brat that didn't want anyone to help them. You know what I mean? So it's hard for yep. them to just jam help down your throat if you're, if you continuously refuse it, you know? Yeah, dude, I, I think that's, you know, that's one of the, the clear benefits of, you know, of being in this day and age. Like, yeah, there's going to be the far end of the spectrum where everybody complains about everything. But at the other end, I think people that actually need help you know, it's, it's going to be less foreign for them to to maybe be able to access that help and then get what they need to be, you know, more fucking productive adults. Because like right now, it's just like like even now, it's like I'm probably functioning at the best I've ever functioned. But there's so many days where I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. Right. You know, and I put in a lot of work to kind of, you know, address things that I think are clear issues. So when you got sober, was that I feel like there are kind of, you know, two types of sober people, the ones that genuinely were fucking their life up and the yeah. ones that were like eh, this is kind of getting in the way of me doing work or whatever which would you say you fall into either of those categories uh clearly fucking my life up because yeah, okay dude i, I and you not... were were you already married and shit when you got sober yeah i was uh my okay. wife and i we've been together for like 20 years and oh I shit wow yeah and i finally got sober in april of 2017 how old a guy are you 42 Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you were, I was like 20 years. That doesn't make any sense. I thought you were a little younger. Um, oh, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, so what led, was there a specific event that led to you getting sober or not really? Just, yeah, just a brutal bender, man. And that was kind of my MO. Yeah. Like, uh, I would say like, you know, I, I'd been to rehab before and it was, it was, it was a real fucked up situation. Like I'd gone out on a bender and, you know, it was as fucked up as I could imagine. Cause like, my wife checked me into rehab when she was seven months pregnant. So yeah. it was like shit like that, where it was like, all right, my MO is like, all right, I'm feeling this way. So I'm going to do what I want. And then I'm going to end up isolating myself. But then it's like, oh, no, I have all these other responsibilities I'm supposed to take care of. Right. So like the combination of those two things colliding, like never, never proved fruitful for me. So, yeah. And one, well, I can imagine the hard thing would be, I don't know you personally. This is just how I would be probably 
is that like if you're getting checked into rehab when you're seven months sober, my instinct would be, oh, I'm a fuck up, I'm an idiot, like blame myself, and that would cause me to go get fucked up again, <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's yeah. unless you really get control of it, it's just a compounding thing that never ends. It was, man, and I think the long, the the hardest thing to to come to reconciliation with was the fact that like, okay, like there's gonna be times where like I'm gonna feel a little bit, you know, fucked up. And it doesn't mean that I have to, you know, it doesn't have to be like a baby needing his bottle situation. Yeah. You know, there's times where that shit's going to pass. And then, you know, there's going to be other times where it's just like, okay, if this is an ongoing thing, I have to do something to address this, but in a healthy way. Well, you shook opiates and shit, right? Like, which is. That was hard, man. Bru- I, I imagine I had a, uh, my best friend in high school. And this is something I've always, fe- I even feel weird talking about it because i regret the way we did it but i mean we were in high school but yeah. um uh my kid i mean i would consider my best friend at the time uh started getting on like painkillers and he was you know ripping people off like stealing money from our friends and shit like that yeah. and it became a thing where we kind of just uh it got to the point where you know he wasn't accepting help or anything by any means so we kind of cut him out and i always look back at that as like an adult and think that's pretty fucked up because what that kid was going through was worse than stealing, you know, 20 bucks from one of our buddies or something, you know, like yeah, I but- could, so I, as an adult, I look at that as like that. It's a motherfucker, you know, you know what, though, Mike, it's 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 hard to like kind of figure out the right approach because I don't think anybody has the right approach. Like if somebody right. had it nailed down, you know, they could be like a fucking the Tony Robbins of opiate fucking abuse. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could figure you could charge people four grand for a seminar on how right, to fix right. shit. But there is like it's it's always like I think it's somewhere in that fine line between um, being compassionate but also not accepting the bullshit that goes along with addict behavior. Right. Because you know that like. You know, I know as an addict that like there was a significant portion of my life where I fucking lied to people, where I took from people. Dude, I would go to my parents and like I remember my dad had this bottle full of Vicodin that he didn't take from a dental surgery. One, my mind was blown that as to how anybody could have leftover painkillers. Like the concept <laughs> was just so foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. And like too, it got to the point where like, all right, like these Vicodin he had were the same size as these eight hundred milligram Motrin I had. So in my mind, I was like, all right, so if there's forty of these pills in here. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get 40 of my Motrin, replace them so that he thinks they're the Vicodin if he ever chooses to take them while I'm taking the Vicodin. And, dude, I did that. I would regularly have, like, a like a pocket full of Motrin. So I would replace, Jesus like, Christ. dude, it was insane. Like, <laughs> and, dude, and ultimately, like, I ended up taking all the Vicodin in there, and then I went and, and double-dipped again, and I ended up taking some of the Motrin thinking they were Vicodin. It's crazy watching it's like addicts behave like that. I've noticed, especially with pills, for whatever reason, um, probably because it's the most addicting shit. But I like if they if you guys took the energy <laughs> that you do on fucking scamming people to get drugs, yep. I was always like that. You would do such great things. Like why not put that towards something else? But it just you're yep. so wrapped up in that that you can't like that's what all your attention is on, which is why I think it causes you to do such crazy shit. You know. Up to that, you're a hundred percent right, dude. And I think that using that kind of like you know addict behavior and parlaying that into getting your shit together, it's like I always say, like if, if a fucking moron like me can do this for four years, anybody can. And I truly believe that because anybody that was in a similar predicament, if you think back to all the scheming you did, all the plotting, and all the energy you put into getting fucked up, like if you put that kind of energy into getting to the root of what your own problem is it's inevitable your life's going to improve. Yeah. So I think like literally like if, you know, anybody, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with that, I promise you that, 
you know, if you take the time to start figuring out shit for yourself and take the time to be, you know, selfish positively with your time to trying things which are ultimately going to potentially help you, I promise you things will improve. For sure. I mean, that's essentially what I did. Like I took three months off and went to basically blind school, essentially, which is sounds like a ridiculous fucking thing, which so people made fun of it, obviously. But it was like if you stop thinking uh, there's actually I'm on uh, the Kirk Minahan show once a week and there's a clip oh, they awesome. play. There's a clip they play of me uh, like getting teary eyed talking about going into this program saying uh, like now I feel stupid for doing it. And I look at that clip as like such a reminder of me being so focused on what everyone would think of what I was doing yeah. or like how they would find a way to make fun of it, that that caused me to just do nothing, which Dude, is the worst possible that, option. But that happens so often. And I think a lot of times, whether it's mental health stuff or addiction based stuff, like that is often the biggest obstacle for people to overcome is, is the stress that you feel from envisioning what those around you um, will think of you. Right. And, you know, Go ahead, buddy. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, for me, like, I realized, you know, the at the root of a lot of my issues is low self-esteem. So those thoughts of like, oh, fuck, what is this person going to think? What's this person? Oh, my God, what's my family going to think? You know, even though they're ultimately excuses, they're they're valid in the sense that it's rooted in this deep seated fear that I have. I do that. I mean, I just did it. As you were talking, like for, I like that little that little conversational like slip up that we had made me think like oh he's gonna think I'm a more I, I had a I don't know man I had a Luis J Gomez on a few weeks ago oh, and the entire time he like so he he was a different energy than I've ever seen him on podcast really he was like much more subdued so rather than like paying attention to the interview. The entire time I kept thinking like this guy fucking hates me. He's oh he's he's not having fun at all. He fucking hates me. I'm ruining his day by having him on here. And instead of just being like, hey, this is a fun conversation, yeah. that's all I was thinking about. Dude, I could totally relate to that shit. I, I think that I think that's part of the reason why I tend to isolate. Like when I isolate, like my mentality is shit. And it's just I'm just a vortex of negativity. Even today, like coming like being able to have this conversation with you, I feel a million times better than I did twenty minutes ago. I was I was in a fucking in a, in a rage this entire morning and it all just stemmed from something so stupid like like my allergies acting up <laughs> and then dude everything after that and it was like i was going to fucking dick sporting goods to buy myself a baseball glove because my last my, the one i had for 20 years is fucked up and like so, a, a task that simple devolved into me being even more aggravated that i can't use my childhood baseball glove and i'm driving <laughs> like the yankees are gonna call tomorrow like what yeah, the fuck dude. am i gonna do yes <laughs> it, it was that it was that kind of level mike yeah and then i'm stuck in traffic which compounds shit and i'm i'm on the verge of a fucking road rage incident so like i get so carried away with like my negative thoughts that like that's you know that's where it often leads me but being able to come here and have a conversation you know a thoughtful intelligent conversation with you is it, it has literally turned my day around i do that for a lot of people you know that's what a lot of people say when they, when <laughs> they stop by here have you guys had to do much zoom shit because i found that that's where my worst oh i did i did a fucking do you know aaron berg and gino bisconti yeah yeah i did their podcast and i didn't realize the whole time i couldn't hear them like ha like there was half the time where I was kind of talking over them, but couldn't hear that they were talking because okay. we're on Zoom or whatever it was. And I went back and listened later and they would say things like, what the fuck is he? Why do you, why do you keep pausing? <laughs> <laughs> they would ask me questions about why I stopped talking and then I would just not hear them and 
there would be dead silence. <laughs> so I hate these fucking Zoom conversations. I'm with you, Mike. I mean, it's beneficial as it is where, you know, it's better than nothing. Sure. At the same time, you know, we're, we're doing our, our fucking um, the podcast live every Sunday night now. You know, behind me, this is just the back room of my house. Um, but being able to do this now, I, I, I have so much more fun being able to do shit in person for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, I guess all things considered, having Zoom as an option was OK, but I'm sure. Yeah, to, but I, I wonder it's going to take away if it, if it becomes the future. I feel like it'll take away from especially comedy podcasts just because timing and shit is so important that you're going to have yep. those awkward moments where you're stepping over each other. Or, oh, are you going to talk? That type of shit. Like, to comedy, that's real destructive. Dude, Mike, going back to what you just said and a person you just mentioned, Tim Butterly and I did Real Ass Podcast back in, like, um, April over Zoom. And, like, now I, I have a nicer computer, so I'm able to to keep up with whatever, with whatever software I'm using. But I had this shitty laptop I was using, and my internet was lagging. So anytime I would say something, it was it, somebody even mentioned it in the comments like, "Why does this? Why does this asshole sound like the Micro Machines guy?" <laughs> my, my speech was so was so accelerated when it would catch up with it that right. it was unlistenable. Yeah, it's, I, have you gotten back to doing stand up at all yet? Yeah, you know what we did. Um, Butterly and I, we we both did Shane's um, Helium Philly showcase. Oh, I think I heard ago. you talking about that actually. Yeah, and it it felt so fucking good, dude. Because I hadn't done any stand up since the summer. So I, I felt like I was going to shit myself the entire time, but the crowd was great. You know, it was like maybe like 40% capacity of what it normally is. But at the same time too, um, the layout in helium Philly is ideal for a comedy room. The ceilings are low. The people are right on top of you. So when, when people laugh, like you could feel it and it just oh, it makes the experience so much better. That's good. Cause I saw actually, um, I saw Shane at a, a Providence comedy connection over the summer. And he was with, uh, I want to say Chris O'Connor. Is that a Philly guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they were both very funny. But it was funny. The whole night, they kind of kept referencing. Like, it seemed like they thought they were bombing or that the, the crowd wasn't laughing or something. But from the crowd, it felt like every everyone was enjoying it. But I yeah. think just because everyone was so spread out, it's, it makes for such a weird, especially if you haven't been doing it like that. You know, it makes for such a weird atmosphere. It does, Mike. There's, there's a place, the, the only other, like, well, I shouldn't say now because there's another place in Philly that's that's getting a lot of big names and people seem to like. But the other like big comedy venue is a place called Punchline Philly. Um, the venue sucks dick, dude. It's it's <laughs> set up. It's run by like Live Nation, who runs all the fucking concert shit, and it's set up like a concert venue. Um, the room's huge. The ceilings are huge. So you got sound coming from so many different spaces where like you can't really get. And you can't really get immediate feedback on how you're doing. So it feels like you're eating shit the entire time, even though you might be doing really well. Right, right. Whereas in a room that's configured like, like Helium is, um, it's it, it, you, there's no middle ground. You know if you're eating shit or if you're really crushing. It seems like, and maybe this is just because I'm a, a Matt and Shane fan and a fan of you guys and everything, but it seems like that Philly crew, like the Philly comedy scene is kind of like how Boston was years ago where you, ha I, I keep hearing these guys from Philly and these horrible Philly accents. I keep hearing <laughs> pop up. Is that, disgusting. Do you get, does it feel like that, that you guys are kind of uh, uh, come on the come up right now? You know what, dude, like we most, I would say pretty much all of us that, you know, are doing, you know, whether it's podcast or, or stand up or sketches or, or just anything like that. Like all of us that, you know, all the people that are in our crew, you know, we've been, we've been at it for so long. And it just feels like, you know, it's just 
we're doing what we've kind of always been doing, but I guess just getting better at it. So it doesn't feel like there's any like grand revelations to us. Like I've, you know, people like, you know, Shane and, and McCusker and McKeever and like, all, you know, all these different guys. It's like, I've always viewed them in the highest light. Like I've always been wondered, you know, why they didn't have, you know, you know, more prestigious, you know, I don't know, fucking, I guess, accolades. Yeah. Well, Shane, I at, can think at any one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, like all those guys, it was like from, from early on, it was just like, oh yeah, this guy should be famous. This guy yeah. should have, you know, a ton of money. You know, so yeah, everybody I, mean, deserves sh- I thought shit. Shane would have been fucking perfect for like what SNL would have needed to still be funny. Like, yeah, I think dude. he legitimately that one guy could have turned them around. Have you interacted with uh, Seth Simons at all? Do you know him? I don't. Um, he blocked me. Also. Dude, I've, I, I, I tweeted like one thing out. It wasn't even like an angry thing, but it was just, you know, just in response. Like, he, he's just obsessed with Shane. He's obsessed with Luis Gomez. He's just yeah. obsessed with with so many different people. And I don't know. It's just hard to have any respect for somebody who's whose entire, um, you know, work revolves about being around around being reactive as opposed to just creating something for the sake of creating it. Yeah, it's it's psychotic. And I mean, I talk about a lot of comedy uh, on here and a lot of podcasts and shit. So I guess you could say I kind of am in the same you know, business as him, I guess, as far as like reviewing, I don't think I review comedy really, but it's similar. Um, but I always talk about guys I like the idea to like, if you don't like fucking Shane Gillis or big J or any of those people, that's fine. But I don't understand the need to drag in, you know, call them proud boys and all this bullshit. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Like we saw, I saw, uh, this morning, uh, Barstool was going through a thing where this guy starts tweeting out, um, yeah, uh, Bar- you know, they're Nazis and all this bullshit. And then uh, Portnoy responded and was, you know, aggressive as he usually is. <laughs> and the guy starts saying that like Barstool's bullying him. And it's I like, mean- so you shit on someone publicly, them and their fans respond and say, I don't agree with what you're saying. <laughs> and that's like, you're the victim now somehow. It's just yeah. wild. I, I don't know. Like more than anything else, you know, I just can't identify with that shit because like I see shit, you know, specifically on Twitter that I either don't like or that I just absolutely can't stand constantly, but it's like you go to go to mute, go to block, and you no longer have to be subjected to those things. Right. And, you know, even something something that I hate, I would I would advocate for its right to exist, you know, even if I hated it, just because I think everybody should be able to put out what they want and just, you know, if you don't like it, I, I don't have to like it. You know, you might not be making it for me, so but it doesn't mean just because I don't like it doesn't mean it should not exist it's wild it's fucking it's it's getting nuts but it's also to the point where i hate talking about it too because Mm -hmm. then you become one of those guys you know what i mean then you're this fucking everything's this it's free it's infringing on free speech and you're one of those angry fucks who are just as annoying as the side that's going after everyone so it's hard it's a hard walk to line now i've kind of decided just to make fun of all of it because that's the (laughs) easiest option and especially for your mental health but it is like sometimes i do get like well we're kind of you know giving away the right to say what we want and that shit but what can you do i guess yeah dude and i think there's a huge difference between you know people taking umbrage with what you say and saying all right this fucking sucks and then somebody saying you know actively taking steps to prevent you from being able to say more things right i think the first group it's whatever man you know that's where you know you should be able to say freedom of speech and if you know if, if you if you um, 
if you can't handle criticism, that's one thing, but you have to say something when people are actively trying to silence you. I mean, I would think so, you know, or yeah. not even, not even the idea of trying to silence you, but if someone says, you know, you're a Nazi <laughs> or yeah, you're a I mean, racist God. or you're a sexist or whatever, the idea that then I'm supposed to like kindly say, uh, well, I don't care for that comment. You know what yeah. I mean? You would, you should respond as viciously as they came at you, but then yeah. you're looked at as yes. some sort of bully. Yeah. And it's, there's no way, unfortunately, I don't think there's any way to, to come out ahead in these kind of situations where people are painting you in that light, because it's just so weird that they're able to gain any kind of traction, you know, with yeah. that shit. With Well, cause it's the easier, it's the easier side to agree with. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. look more progressive if you agree yes. with Seth Simons than you yep. do with Louis J. Gomez. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's much easier to take a clip of Lewis saying something and be like, so he's a fucking racist. Then it is to find any, cause Seth Simons has never done anything. So it's hard to, you know, yep. pin down any opinions that he even has. It's, it's so funny to like see these kind of comments and, you know, see people in real life, somebody like, like Gomez, like who, you know, Butterly and I have just gotten to know him within the past year. And, you know, we've, we've trained jujitsu together and, you know, we'll talk before and after the show's there. And it's like, he's one of the kindest people you could come across. He's super thoughtful most of what he says off the air is just talking about his son, things he's doing with his son, you know, ways yeah. to make his son's life better. And it's very sweet to watch somebody whose clear focus in their life is someone else. Right. That's the funny thing is a guy like that seems like a good, like everyone says he's a great dad. He seems like he's a good dad. Incredible. But if you just met him, you know, or if you saw his standup, I guess I should say, you'd think he's a fucking savage, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's like, there's, there's no, I don't know. I, I just don't think there's any middle ground. People, there's a significant portion of people who can't understand that you could have a really degenerate sense of humor, but still be a good person. I mean, the cleanest guy ever was Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a great He's point. He's the fucking squeaky clean telling people to pull the pa- their pants up and all that shit. Yeah. And he raped 50 women at yeah. least. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, we'll, we'll never solve that. As your guys podcast has grown, have you had to yeah. get better at, uh, well, A, I didn't even think of this aspect, but A, have you, has it changed, like, you know, not watching what you say, but changed how you do things at all? And have you had to get better at it, kind of filtering social media and waiting to that? Because, you know, the bigger you get, the more assholes you're going to attract, too. Yeah. I mean, by and large, you know, we're still saying and doing the same things. I like, there, there's, there's plenty of stuff that I think if somebody watched an episode of what we do or listened to an episode of what we do, they would be able to pick at least one thing out of there to yeah. exploit and say these guys are the worst and it's you know if you want to do that you knock yourself out well you and know what i think of with you the thing that came immediately to mind is and i don't you know i i'm not saying this is offensive or anything yeah but you guys like will say like retarded and shit like that yes which is it's borderline now but there will be a day where if you get you know some fucking nbc sitcom or something yeah. they're gonna they're, that's what they're gonna come for i'm i'm with you 100 percent, man and, and people We've gotten messages about that with people saying, like, I'm into it, but I just don't like that you say that. And it's like, I get oh, I'm it, not but... even saying I don't like I don't care. I'm just yeah, saying that yeah. that is what they'll use against you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, you know, unfortunately, our the way we function is to there, there's nothing being held back. Like what you hear on there is how you would hear us talk in real life. Right. And I think that's for better and for worse. Like neither of us have any aspirations to to have like any kind of network gig or anything like that. And I think, you know, it's clear in what we're willing to talk about. 
Um, and it's, you know, from our perspective, there's no malice behind anything that we say. And I think if you have any kind of interaction with us, you should be able to pick up on that in that. Well, that was my first thought is as we're talking now, you seem like a genuinely nice guy. I assume you're, it seems like you're a good father and it'd be great if you were, comes out that you're Tyreek Hill after this. I'm like, he's a great dad. <laughs> he's <laughs> top notch, this guy. <laughs> no, but you seem like a genuine, just from this conversation, you seem like a genuinely nice guy. But the Thanks. first thing, there are people out there that would be like, well, he's said retarded. He can't be a nice guy. You yeah, know? Dude, that, that's the thing. Like, there are, there's so much that if people even lined up, made a compilation, like you could probably make a, a compilation of me using that word. Mm-hmm. And I would seem like Adolf Hitler. And <laughs> I, I get it. But at the same time, it's, you know, People are going to do what they're going to do, and it's. I, I think if I if I made a Mister Rogers type show with enough episodes, people will be able to pick something out of there to paint me in a bad light if they really wanted to. Oh sure. Um. Do you follow? Do you follow like comedy gossip at all? Because I love talking about that shit. But I know comedians get uncomfortable, like the Delia shit or anything like that. Um. I I have a uh, a passing knowledge of like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But. You know, is there anything hot right now? I mean, it's just weird that he came back and is doing a podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he just yeah. came back the other day. He did a podcast, and he's like, it's crazy that I have a son now. And I'm like, is that what's crazy in your life? You're being sued for pedophilia. I don't understand. <laughs> so it's weird. Like, in a way, I kind of, uh, if they're innocent, like Brian Callen is, like, you know, uh, uh, going after the girl's husband for like defamation of character or something like that. So if they're innocent, I kind of respect that, but there's also a weird element. It's like, I don't know, maybe he did something wrong. So I don't, I have a hard time because my instinct is to defend a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, well, I don't know. Is it worth being called a fucking rape apologist? You know, that's like, it's similar yeah. to, I guess the cancel culture stuff where it's like, just if I defend this person, I'm worried about then they come after me, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm with you, man, because with a lot of like, especially things that are that are just, you know, stances that are based in allegations. You know, I'm I'm best just to keep quiet unless I know something either did or did not happen. Like, right. I try not to offer like too, too many opinions on like that kind of stuff, because, um, you know, I've seen both sides like one like, you know, I've, I've told people close to me, you know, about fucked up shit that's happened to me when I when I was little. And I feel like I was just brushed aside. So I'm sensitive to the fact that, you know, when people actually have fucked up, you know, sexual shit happening to them, how, how it feels to be minimized. At the same time, I also know that people do sometimes make baseless allegations because they want something. So right. measuring, measuring those, two, those two ends of the spectrum, you know, I think oftentimes unless I know something definitively, I'm just going to, you know, take myself out of the equation. Is there anything? Is there anything that could come up someday? Because uh, from when you were not sober, from when you were drinking and on opiates, where you're like, uh, I don't know, maybe that did happen. <laughs> like, could we? Could I get away with accusing you of something? And you're like, ah, oh, I don't. Maybe I, I actually might have done that. I don't know. Like, I think anybody that would come out and say that I am a gigantic asshole was probably given a very good reason to believe that. <laughs> right. And it's it's thinking back just off the top of my head. Uh, do you remember Yahoo groups? No. Um, on Yahoo, you can go in. It's kind of like how Reddit is now, and they would just have specific rooms related oh, okay, to yeah. certain topics. Um, my thing was just going in there and fucking starting fights with people. And <laughs> in a lot of cases, it was with other Philly comedians. I would fucking go in there, say the worst shit that I can think of. And that was kind of my thing for a while. Um, probably the worst that I was back in like, 
I would say like when I first started comedy in 2003, I got hammered and I fucking went on this one uh, comedian's website and, you know, we never had any kind of interaction. It was just me being an asshole. I saw, you know, her bio and I just picked apart everything in the bio and I said, you fucking suck. You know, I hope this happens. And it was just like the worst shit that anybody could possibly say just from me being an asshole because in my mind, I viewed myself as like a comedy bad boy. Right, right. And it like it's completely insane. It had no basis in reality. And it was just me being a fucking asshole. Now, fortunately, after sending that email, I sent an apology a couple of days later and she was gracious enough to say, like, all right, no problem, dude. I fucking get it. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, that kind of shit, you know, that was like kind of my M.O. for a little while. Fortunately, right. I don't think it was like too long lived, but, you know, I was the fucking the Internet dickhead. Once I <laughs> once I got a computer, dude, that was my thing. And it took me a while to realize, like, oh, this is kind of fucked up and you shouldn't just say mean things to people for the sake of saying mean things oh you know what i was scrolling through your twitter i almost forgot about this i was scrolling through your twitter and this might have been just a joke that went over my head did you actually let someone's uh dog free while they were on stage no um that one it was first i opened for somebody who brought a dog with her Mm -hmm. and usually like you know in the green room at a comedy show like all the comics can hang back there um you know, the open, you know, the MC, the feature and the headliner just all sit right. back there and just, you know, it's it's there for everybody. But this lady said that as she was about to go on stage, she said, um, could you do me a favor? Can you sit on the couch outside the room? Because my dog with with my with me being out of the room, and my dog being in here alone with you, he'll probably start freaking out. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm the low man on the totem pole. So I'm like, yeah, I guess I will. So I sat on sure. the couch outside of the green room. But it angered me the entire time I'm sitting on this couch because a dog is taking precedence over me. So yes, I do. I still wish I set that dog loose in North Philly. Oh, it would have been great just for the story. Yeah, man. Um, (laughs) But I love animals, so I wouldn't do that, but I did. It was was funny. uh, I I knew a girl that worked at uh, laugh Boston here in Boston. Okay. And she told uh, some story about, I won't say his name, I guess, but uh, she was like, this guy's a real, he's a real asshole. Like I knew it was more like she wanted to tell me, like, I've met this guy. Yeah. But she's like, oh, he was a real piece of shit. And I was like, really? Well, that surprises me. Why? And uh, she said, you know, before the show, uh, he had a rule like comics only in the green room. So I wasn't allowed in, even though I worked there. And I was like, that doesn't seem like an example of why he's an (laughs) asshole. Why the fuck would he want to talk to you before a show? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I mean, to that point, especially like when people, you know, have TV or movie credits, it's a never ending stream of people that just, you know, have a reason to come back there, but probably shouldn't just to, you know, be respectful of something, you know, people needing their space. Um, but I think I, I would side, you know, with the comedian on that on that 100 percent. Yeah, well, because I, I mean, I pointed out it's also like they're working. Right. Like they're about to go to work and you're like, hey, can I have a picture with you? You know what I mean? You're just fucking mm-hmm. annoying them for no reason. And you're a stranger. Like, what the fuck does he want to talk to you for? You know? Yeah, and a lot of times, too, it's like, okay, if one person has reason to come back, they're, they're with friends. Yeah. So then there's more people back there. And I don't know. And even, even with that said, I think most people you know, that I've worked with um, are cool about that kind of stuff in regards to, like, they'll, they'll at least be pleasant, even though they're fucking annoyed. Yeah. I, um, do, I, I kind of admire the people that have the balls to be like, I was right in those situations because <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. Whereas if I, you know, if you were a laugh Boston and I met you, I'd be like, I'd, I'd be apologizing before I even spoke. I'm like, I'm sorry to bother you, man. 
You know, like I, I, I really admire the type of uh, whatever mental illness it is to have you blame everyone else because I have the complete opposite. <laughs> I blame myself for everything, but I wish I was the yeah. opposite. Yeah, dude, it would be nice. I mean, literally, if some if somebody shot me, I would probably wonder why I was in that position to be shot. So I can identify with that kind of thing. Yeah, what, what did I like, do? What wrong? did I do? Yeah. <laughs> what was I wearing? Yeah. Um. How, so. How do uh, how old are your kids, by the way? Did you um, not say that? No, it's cool. It's uh, my oldest. She's about to graduate high school, so she's seventeen. Oh, uh, okay. My middle's fourteen, and my son's ten. Jesus, so. wow, that's fucking awesome. How 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 now? How did getting sober with kids like how did that all play out? Because that obviously means you weren't sober while they were alive at some point. Yeah, dude i I went to rehab in in two thousand six when my wife was pregnant with my second daughter and right. from that point like that wasn't that even though i didn't fully get sober after that that was a turning point because at that point i would put together you know month stretches where i wouldn't do anything you know baby you know every six months i might go out on like a drinking vendor or something like that but nothing as bad as it was leading up to that initial stint in rehab um then in like 2012 was when i got whacked on on pills because I had two back surgeries in one summer. So initially I could validate it by saying like, okay, like I have a legitimate injury and I got a doctor giving me fucking anywhere between 120 and 180 pills a month. So it's the wildest because that's how most people, I don't know about most, but that's how a lot of people Mm -hmm. get hooked where it's like, Hey, your back won't hurt for a couple of weeks, but uh, you may have a crippling addiction now for the rest of your life. (laughs) It's, I don't get it, man, because you know, even though it's like, yeah, I would say probably for three weeks, I probably, could have used those um justly but then right. after that it's like you know even now like with not having taken the last time i took a pill was august of 2014 so in almost you know over six years now every day i could validate taking one because you know i'm just 42 and i've had a couple back surgeries but you know the the negatives outweigh the positives at this point so it is it is crazy <laughs> i uh I was telling this story a couple weeks ago where my the same buddy I mentioned um, who was addicted to uh, like perks and shit like that, where uh, sometimes I would go with him when he was picking up. Like I never really, I never really, I never got into that shit, mm-hmm. uh, but I'd be around him when he would do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a kid he would buy drugs off of that uh, would steal pills from his mother who was in a wheelchair. <laughs> And I didn't know the kid really, but I was always like, what if his mom could have wonked again? If, if <laughs> like if he took her pills and with those, she could have gotten her legs back one day. <laughs> but it's crazy. Like that shows you how fucking brutal and like doctors hand them to you, which is the wildest thing. But I mean, yeah, I man. guess, I guess they and do but, help some people. Dude, maybe he was selling them to get the boot taken off of her fucking wheel. I don't know. Right. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, dude, it's so fucked up that, there was never I never faced any kind of uh like like pushback on me, you know, going in each month. Like it would maybe be like once a year I go in and just say that like, yeah, my back never be any like follow up questions or anything. Um the only time there was any kind of change was that when it was clear where I was gonna be taking them for a while, uh the doctor switched me from Percocet to I think it was oxycodone, um, where it didn't have the acetaminophen because he was worried about the long-term effect that the acetaminophen would have on my liver. But I was like, yeah, well, I'm already addicted to these fucking things by this point. So, you know, who cares about my fucking liver? Right. 
if I can't really function otherwise. Right. Would, but that was the only fe- that was the only pushback. Would would uh, would substances and shit? Did that cause? I mean, I imagine it could. Would it cause you to ruin any uh, relationships? Because I I go back and forth on whether I have a problem with drinking, which probably means mm-hmm. I have a problem with drinking. But mm-hmm. the reason I go back and forth is like I can have. Um, you know, I'm not one of these guys that like, oh, if I have one beer, I have to have 12. I can yeah. have, you know, a couple beers and be fine. The problem is when I do drink too much, I behave like an asshole. So I kind of go back and forth with it where it's like, should I completely stop drinking? Like, do I, I sometimes I feel like people feel the need to go all or nothing where yeah. it's like, I can have like, you know, a couple seltzers and not behave like an asshole, but is it worth risking, you know? The other thing I'm lucky with is like, I'm uh, if I get shit faced, I'm more likely to just fall asleep on the couch than really do anything crazy. <laughs> yeah. But it had like I will send like text messages and shit where I'm like, okay, well that person's probably not done talking to me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, Mike, it was a lot of just like that all or nothing. Like if I can't yeah set up shop and have fucking twelve, like I don't want to have any. Right. You know, the last weekend that I went out on a bender, like I went to the corner bar by my house with my wife and I had forty dollars in my pocket and we were one of we were two of maybe five people in this entire hole in the wall. And I just remember th- like the Phillies were on the TV, the jukebox was playing and I was like, I I, I could do this every day of my life, right. which is fun every now and again. But to think that, you know, and genuinely believe that like that's like, oh, man, you got. You got fucking three kids at home. You're still relatively young. You know, you could literally be doing anything, but, you know. The worst, uh, f- worse than booze by far for me is food, which is, you know, like everyone says, like, oh, well, the worst part about food addiction is you have to eat. But I think, I think the reason food can be such an addiction for people like me is that, like, I don't behave like an asshole if I eat a fucking large pizza to myself, <laughs> you know? Right, like, there's yeah. no after effect i might have a, a tummy ache for for, mm-hmm. for a minute but like it doesn't cause you to go on some fucking bender where you're calling your girlfriend a slut or something <laughs> you know like that there's no ill effects other than you're gaining weight which you don't really notice so that's mm-hmm. what fucks me up the most where i just keep eating out of like depression or boredom or whatever rather than you know going to the, the drink yeah dude i mean that's something that's a that's a fucking issue for me too because i i feel like my goal each night is to not eat after 8 p.m right but you know last night it's just you know around like nine o'clock i was feeling anxious and actually anxiety is normally the precursor for me to before it used to be to getting fucked up and now it's to overeating like last night around nine i was anxious so you know i made a quesadilla i ate you know pretzels and it's like i don't need this shit right But, you know, it's hard to not, you know, indulge in that unless, you know, I have strict structure, which now I'm I'm writing up a plan to kind of like give myself that kind of structure because I know I can follow shit because, you know, if I can get off opiates and fucking not do booze and not do coke, like, you know, I should be able to do this shit, too. So I know if if I'm limiting myself to oatmeal in the morning to a green drink in the afternoon and then eating my first meal, real meal of the day at nighttime and cutting it off there, I know if I have that kind of structure that I could stick to it, but. Right now, right. not having any kind of structure, I'm just, it's a wild west. Yeah, that does make it easier where I'm, if you, if, you, if I'm like, okay, I'm only going to eat, you know, 1,800 to 2,000 calories a day, like really almost a crash diet level. Yeah. Then I can do that. I can do that pretty yep. easily. 
But when I don't have those restrictions on, like fucking last night, I came home from recording and uh, I, I, it was like, you know, 930 at night. Yeah. And I went into the pantry and my girlfriend bought like little fucking chocolate Easter eggs. And I just ate the entire bowl of them. And I'll like, I'll yell at her. I'll yeah, be yeah. like, don't buy this shit because you know, I'm going to eat it. And she's like, well, you could just not eat it. I'm like, that's not a, that's not an option. Like you don't it's understand. But uh, to that point, like, I remember watching this video before. Um, it might have been McGregor and fucking, um, do you follow UFC? A little bit. It, it might have been, I think it was the McGregor-Eddie Alvarez fight, but they were filming him during fight week. And somebody had a, a, a chocolate cake on the counter. And he's like, if, if this is here, I'm going to fucking eat it. So I don't want people having this shit here. So because I saw that video of him saying that, I can rationalize in my head like, yeah, if it's here, I'm just going to eat it. You know, if Conor <laughs> McGregor can't turn it down, who the fuck am I? <laughs> I like that the, your rationalization is not only blaming other people for having the chocolate cake. There was a chocolate cake in front of Conor McGregor. Yeah. So, you, <laughs> so now I have to eat. <laughs> You're like, yeah. now I have to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go to um, the well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, man. This has been fun. I've enjoyed this conversation where the fuck is who the fuck does tim butterly think he is by the way oh, no he'll get around to it, dude. dude he's got a he's actually like an important guy at his job you know i'm, I'm just a, a nobody so you know i could i could take time to get off but like he's one of the, the fucking main guys there so he's handling everybody else's problems so okay just, it's funny how easy it is to turn me to where i was like both, <laughs> hey, bo- to listen to the dad meat podcast like both these guys are pretty funny guys and then this morning i'm like you know mike's a lot funnier than this fucker <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut out that sound bite and play it for him. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, hopefully we get him on soon, too, at some point. But go check out the uh, the Dad Meat podcast, which is also on Patreon. So this will be up on uh, Patreon tonight for the subscribers and then free on Monday. So if you're listening on Patreon, go over to – is it just patreon.com slash dadmeat? Patreon.com slash dadmeat podcast. And- Can I ask you a very boring technical question? Go for it. About Patreon. I saw your guys' tiers, and I saw that you have a a $1 tier. And I've been thinking about doing that, but then I was like, with the processing shit that that Patreon takes, is it worth it or no? Uh, For us, it is. Like, everything. Like, Tim and I, like, we've been poor most of our lives. So by having people just being able to donate what they want, that's important to us because I never want to exclude anybody who may not be able to afford even say like five bucks a month because to me like like we both know what it feels to like have very limited means to to access the shit that you want so um even though like you said like patreon does take fees and then there's processing fees so like sometimes like if if people might donate a dollar you might see maybe you know a third of that but and we're fine with that if that's all people can do man all right cool well that if you're looking for a cheaper option than what I'm, I'm charging you up the ass for no reason, go over to uh, Dad. It's, and it's much funnier. That's what I I promote podcasts on this uh, uh, Patreon because I feel like it's a good business model to be like, if you're sick of this shit, here are much better options. <laughs> and uh, and Dad Meat is one of those. Oh, you know what? I didn't also check out um, on there on the Dad Meat YouTube page. Uh, uh, Mike has been doing these sober boners, they're called, which I feel like really takes away from the the seriousness of the topic you're getting into. But uh, I thought those were very good. I was checking those out last night. Oh, thanks, man. And, and I do want to like take that away because I feel like there's so much fucking you know seriousness and sadness and grief associated with fucking addiction and fucking right. alcoholism, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I want people to see that like you know shit can improve. And if you see a fucking fat idiot like me you know, being able to do this shit. I, I hope that, that 
you know, if that's what you need to like, kind of like get the, get the ball rolling and, and kind of, you know, unfuck yourself, then I hope that can be that for you. Yeah, definitely check those, check all things dad meat on, uh, on Patreon and everywhere else you get podcasts. Anything else uh, you're promoting, Mike? No, I mean, that's pretty much it. And I just want to say, I appreciate you, Mike. And, you know, I really enjoyed talking with you. Dude, thanks for, so much for coming on. I'm glad my plan worked perfectly when I did that uh, stupid bra- I'm the first guy, if you do like a March Madness bracket, like if a radio station was doing uh-huh. that or something, I'd be like, these fucking hacks. And then <laughs> and then I made a Twitter account, an Instagram account for the show, and I was like, well, it might be good engagement for the show. Yeah, it's hard not to, man. Fuck it. Nothing matters, man. Just do whatever you want. Right. But it worked well because we got uh, Mike Rainey on, who this was an awesome conversation, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Mike. Thank you. All right, buddy. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, man.